Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Filmmaking Sucks podcast. Where we tell you about all the mistakes you can make when producing your own film and how to avoid them. And I'm your host, Manny. And I'm Lindsay. And one day I will get that uh, opening right. I think you did okay. (laughs) It was okay. I think you did fine. I wasn't really paying attention. I did notice... I think I light a cigarette every week when you... Yes, you do. Every week. You do. So I don't even... And then I get distracted. So, so if I'm you, like, oh, man, that smells good. Uh, so if you <laughs> screw up the intro, I, I didn't notice because I was <laughs> no busy. Idea. You just let me sound like a fool. It's I was fine. busy. I was busy. It's fine. Nobody's complained about it yet, so... Yeah. Uh, so um, first thing, um, I, if, if you can hear our air conditioner, we're sorry. Sorry. It's a little warm. It's hot. It's it's hot in New York, so we're we're keeping the air conditioner on most of the time. We turn it off, but it's I don't know for some reason our apartment is hotter inside than it is outside. Yes, you know. So um, it could be the accumulation of stuff that we have, or the fact that our floors aren't finished, or uh, yeah, the house is just really old, or the universe hates us. Yeah. Could just be that. So, Any you, of the above. so, so yeah, we apologize if you can hear the air conditioner. If you can't, then ignore this. Forget we said anything. <laughs> That's just soothing white noise. Yeah, soothing white noise. Soothing we, white yeah, noise. Put you to sleep, relax you as you listen to us in our soothing voices. You can get pretty low. That's impressive. I, yeah, I can get pretty low from time to time. <laughs> so, uh, we have business. Business. I'm asking you. Yes, we have business. We have business. What is the business? Um, we have screenings. There you go. We have screenings. We have screenings. Yeah. We are getting ready for the celebration of hashtag HBHP. 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 Yes, yes. It the, is now my new goal for every episode to come up with a new hashtag. Okay. So, so you got to come up with a new one for this one. I, I got to think on this. We'll think of something. I'm we'll gonna, figure it out. Now that I said that, I'm not going to be able to think of anything. Nope, nope. That's Screwed it. yourself. <laughs> Screwed yourself. Um, so uh, this Friday in in the NYC. NYC. In New York. HBHP. At the, <laughs> at the Lovecraft Bar in Manhattan is the uh, celebration of 127th uh, birthday of H.P. Lovecraft, the father of cosmic horror. Cosmic horror, woo. Yes, hashtag cosmic horror. No. No, not clever enough? Nope. So, uh, yeah, uh, festivities start at uh, 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock. It's 6 o'clock, it's 5 bucks to get in. There's going to be horror readings and bands playing and movies playing and lots of people hanging out, drinking and eating because it's a bar and a restaurant as well. It's a restaurant too. It is a restaurant too, so we can eat. Yes, we can actually have food. Yeah, we'll be there. Um, I believe Louis is coming too. And surprise, surprise, Ray says he's coming. Mm. Yeah. Listen to the show. Come on. <laughs> Chances of him. Who knows? He says he's off and he says he's coming. So you, you get to know your friends who comes out and supports and who doesn't. And you learn to smile grace gratefully. And yeah, uh, he, 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 we get we get we get other stuff from him. Yes, and you get other things from him that are that would be quite expensive otherwise. Yep. Music. Yeah. Yes, he's our composer. He's been our composer for a long time. Yeah. He's done some great music. Yep. You're very have very little to say about it, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yeah, he says he's coming. Louis says he's coming. Um, Louis so Cortez, director of we, Good Day and co-director of Attack of the Brain People. Yeah, he says he's coming. Um, if I know him, Chris will be attached to him at the hip. <laughs> Angie thinks she might. Be yeah, coming. yeah. Uh, Katie says she might be coming. Um, and there we are screening Sleepless, The Au Pair, and Knock Knock. All three of them wow. will be playing along with a couple of other short films. I think the film started eight. I'm not positive, but either way, come out at six. We'll probably be there around five or so because yep. we're going to be in the city already. Yep. By that point, we'll just get bored and say, all right, let's just go to the bar. So we're probably going to start around five-ish. What? Sorry. I, the, uh, the sticker on my mic stand was distracting me for a minute. I thought it was a cool sticker, but no, it's just you know some lame sticker. That's I came on it. gotten wet and peeled off. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so we have that this Friday at Lovecraft Bar in New York City. Come on out to that. Off the top of my head, I can't think of the address, but uh, check uh, check our Facebook page and. Or we'll, just literally. Yeah, Lovecraft, Lovecraft Bar. On Wednesday. Lovecraft Bar, Bar NYC. Yeah, just Google that and you'll find it. Uh, so that's this Friday. This Friday. Yes. If anybody's coming out, if anybody's going to join us, please let us know. We'd love to see you, meet you, hang out, have a couple drinks, and yeah, celebrate HBHP. HBHP. Uh, we also we also got this week. We were we've been selected mm-hmm. uh, to be part of. We, we Theta States is going to be screening at the Shauna Shea Film Festival. Yes. In the Shaunashe Memorial Found Memorial Memorial Film Festival in Southbridge, Massachusetts. This is our New England premiere for Theta States. So fancy, isn't that just just on the hoity toity? A New England a premiere. New England premiere. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. That is uh they haven't set the schedules yet, but the film festival itself is October sixth through the eighth. It's for October Friday, October sixth through Sunday, October eighth. Um, it is the same weekend as Comic-Con, mm. which kind of sucks, but uh, okay. We'll be at Comic-Con that Thursday on yep. the 5th. We'll be there on Thursday. Star Talk Radio Star is going to be there. Radio. I'm excited about that. But uh, yes, the Shauna Shea Film Festival mm-hmm. um, was created by uh, Skip Shea and, his, and, and the Shea family. Uh, another very talented filmmaker mm-hmm. that we met out in Boston Underground Film Festival. Yeah, when we were out there. Um yeah, tell 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 about the foundation. Um, the foundation. Um, Skip had a daughter named Shauna, um, who unfortunately passed away in a car accident um, when she was about seventeen or eighteen. Um, she was a filmmaker. She was just starting to make films, just like her father. And uh, they started this foundation as a memorial to her. Um, and the foundation takes its proceeds and they create a scholarship. Um, that helps a female filmmaker um, pursue their education in film. Yeah. yeah. Which, it, when I saw this, it's really funny how this happened. I saw literally like a Facebook advertisement or some mention of it. Last year. Uh, last year. Yeah, last year. And um, the story really struck me because obviously I love women in film. And, um, do you know? I do. <laughs> it's a thing for me. <laughs> Vested interest. I'm not really sure why, but I just want to see more women in film. Um but no, what really struck me was um, very similar to my own story. I had a car accident when I was quite young, um, around the same age, 17, I think 18. you are the same age, or yeah. you would be the we, same I age. I think, I believe we were born the same year. 
Yeah. So you're both the same age, and I think her accident was, I think, a year before yours. Yeah. Yeah. I so think, I think she, was she was 16. 16 you I were was 17. 17. Yep. And I was in a pretty bad car accident. Um, I got pretty beat up, and I have an awesome scar on my leg, and I lost a bunch of skin and muscle tissue on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. Really uh, tough, really rough car accident, too. Yeah. Yeah. Flipped over and everything. Um, skidded on the roof. It was really scary. I don't remember much, thank God, because the brain, amazing thing. Um, but her story being so similar to my own, just, it really struck me. And, um, I love, you know, um, my own family is also from Massachusetts. Um, and they are very big into memorial scholarships. So it's Mm -hmm. something near and dear to my heart and my family's heart. So, uh, definitely a good cause. Uh, you can check it out at the, I'm going to get this right. Shauna foundation. So it's www.shawna.com foundation.org and you can go and check out the foundation's website there you can donate and help out uh filmmakers um Mm -hmm. actually there's two different memorials um her cousin not long after she passed away also passed away suddenly so they started another scholarship for him um yeah so family trying to do the right thing and pay it forward so check it out uh show some support and uh yeah. yeah, follow you can uh, follow them on Facebook as well and Twitter and and they'll be announcing the film times the lineup. I I don't think is on the website yet, but on the Facebook page they did post a bunch of the posters of the films that are playing. So there's a bunch of those uh, already posted, including. And you ours. know what? If we have any listeners in the New England area who will actually yes. come out and support, let us know. I'll bring you a Blood Slaughter Massacre T-shirt. Wow! <laughs> yeah, as, there you, you know, go. Look at that. As long as we have your size in in, yeah. in inventory. Yeah, we'll we're going to be there the whole weekend. So yes, any of our listeners who are there. Why not? Anybody. We're, we're gonna we'll bring we'll bring all of our blood slaughter merch. Merch. We'll bring a bunch of our stuff bring some shot and glasses. posters and things. And uh yeah, you come out to the festival. If you're you're a listener of the show, come out to the festival. We will get you a bag o swag. How about that? Bag o swag. Let's do that. Let's up the ante. We'll give you a bag o swag. You get yeah. a t shirt and shot glass and a whole bunch of stuff. So cool yes, stuff. if you are in the New England yeah, if you are in the New Shakers. England area, come out to the Shauna Shea Film Festival, October 6th, and get your MGP bag o swag. There you go. Hashtag bag o swag. No, no, because they're going to start asking oh. for hashtag bag o swag. We don't have money for postage, people. <laughs> Well, part of the cad is you've got to, you've got to yeah, come to the you've festival. You've got to come see us. If you, you come to, come to New York City or if you come to any of our film festival appearances mm-hmm. we will, and you let us know beforehand, yeah. we will bring you We're a not going to drag it. We're not going to bring everything to Lovecraft because taking all this stuff into Manhattan is kind of a pain. Yeah. But if you come out to Lovecraft and you're a listener of the show and you're there this Friday, let us know. We will get it to you. If you're yeah. there, we'll bring come, it. We'll, we're not going to bring it. I'm not going to bring it. If you let us know, we'll bring it. Okay. If you let us know, we'll bring it. But if you're just happy to be there. We're just going to have it. I mean, most likely we may have a pin on our bodies and we may Mm -hmm. take them off of our own bodies to give it to you because that's the kind of commitment that we have. Sure. Uh, But yeah, if you just happen to be there and you haven't told us you're going to be there, but you are there anyway, we'll get you a bag of swag. Yep. One way, shape or form. Yep. It'll happen. It'll happen. So, but Shauna Shea, we will will definitely have our stuff. We'll probably even have DVDs there too. (gasps) DVDs. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know if they're going to have, if we're going to have like filmmaker tables or anything there as well. I don't know yet. Well, we'll keep you guys up to date. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have an episode or two between now and then. I'm sure we'll have (laughs) one, maybe two, (laughs) the way this has been going. I don't know. We've been keeping it pretty steady lately. We're we're day late, but. 
It's all right. It's okay. It's all right. Um, so anyway, so yes, uh, Lovecraft Bar this Friday and Shauna Shea October 6th through 8th in Southbridge, Massachusetts. It's... I'm gonna uh, from from us. Uh, it's about forty five minutes or so before Boston, so if you're in that Boston area, come on out. Yep. And Please. that's gonna do it for us today. No, <laughs> that's it. That's <laughs> it, people. That's all you get. No so what are we talking about today? Um. Well, we started an interesting conversation that I thought we should continue on the air. All right. Are we on the air? Is this considered on the air? I don't know. I don't know. It is now on the air. Um. So we were listening to an interview, mm-hmm. and uh, it was with a director, and the interviewer... No names. Sorry. No names. No names. No names. Listen. Yeah. Just listen. Keep it anonymous. Anonymous. So yes, we were listening to an interview yes. about a director and their film. No, we were listening to the director be interviewed, well, and uh, the interviewer yes. was asking... Um, questions about some of their choice of shots yep. that they had, you know, the shots that they had chosen to put in the film and mm-hmm. um, if they had any significance. And the director couldn't answer that. Their their answer kind of... Well, for the most part, for the most part they did. It was one or two of the mm-hmm. specifics where the director um, deflected yes. to the DP. Right. Um, and said, well, you're going to have to ask the DP as to their reason for the choice. And while that's fine, if that's the choice, that's okay. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, well, I think it's, it's, but, it's, it's, it's particularly interest to the two of us because you are a director that is also your own DP. Mm-hmm. And I'm a director that does not own it. It does not operate a camera. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm usually your DP and you're usually my DP. Yeah. So, uh, it was, it was interesting to hear a director say, I don't know. Yeah. That is really where it was. To mm-hmm. hear a director say, I don't know. Yeah. Struck me as, huh? Because we've said this in the past before that the director is where the buck stops. Yep. Generally. Yeah. Um, producers are really where the buck stops. But we're. Especially when you're using other people's money. That's mostly where the, product, the yeah, producer, the producer is, is on the usually hook. <laughs> where the buck stops. But. Again, low and no budget. The director yeah. is generally the top dog in everything. They're making all the decisions, yeah. you know. And even if they're not making all the decisions, they make the final decision mm-hmm. because, as we've said before, they take the credit and the criticism. Well, I mean, they also see the the project entirely through. Yes, yeah. Well, that that's why they take the credit and the criticism. Yeah. So, for especially when it comes to uh, a short film, yeah. Um. Feature films, let's get this out of the way. Mm-hmm. Feature films, they're a whole other monster. And if you, they are, they're a whole different... They're like a Godzilla. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're a whole different creature. raging monster destroying an entire city. Yeah. So um, when your director and DP are not the same person, we're just going to assume that, that the director has a cameraman and that cameraman is their DP. So we're talking two separate people here. If you're the director and your DP and you and you can't answer one of the camera questions, then something's wrong. Yeah. But if let's neither assume, of you has an answer, yes, can you imagine? Yes. Let's assume that your director and your DP are two separate people. Fine. Right. On a feature film, I can I can understand the director saying, "Well, the DP made that decision," mm-hmm. because there's so many things going on. There's so much. 
continuity and consistency that has to go from scene to scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you're shooting something, not only do you have to get the shot right, you have to know what the next shot is going to be. And what the previous shot was. And what the previous shot was so that they line up properly and they match. You can't just throw your camera anywhere and put shots next to each other okay there's something where like uh, the audience's line of sight i guess you would call it I, I know that there is a way there is a term to call it but i can't think of it right now but your audience's um equilibrium hmm? of sorts can be thrown off very easily yeah and uh you have to know which shot how the shots are going to connect they have to match so I can understand in a feature film, a director saying, well, the, the DP made that decision simply because the DP is running the camera and knows what went here, what went there, and more than likely wrote the shot list with the director. Mm-hmm. So a lot of certain, a lot of shot decisions can be made by the DP because, hey, there's, there's that's why we have a camera department. That's why you have a sound department, right. a makeup department. They all make, they're all given the leeway to make their own decisions in some form or another. The director is going to say has oversay of it. Where if the DP is doing some of the direct that the director doesn't like, the director say no, 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 I don't like that. Change. We we can change that. But if you've chosen a DP, you trust their decisions mm-hmm. in because you've already explained to them what the mood of the scene is, what the emotion you're trying to get out of it, what you're trying to convey about the characters. And you can leave the leave the DP to do their job and say, all right, well, you want this character to be seen as villainous. And as a director, you may not know much about cameras, and that's totally fine. Steven Spielberg wouldn't even know how, doesn't even know how to turn on a camera. Oh, what's that really great story of Kevin Smith? Uh he was directing Kevin Smith and Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, yes. And Bruce Willis asked him, "Well, what 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 lens are you going to have on me?" And Kevin Smith couldn't answer. No, <laughs> he had no idea. Now Bruce Willis, forty years as an actor, he knows yep. he knows plenty on set. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of act- many actors who don't, but he does. Yeah. He knows your your what- your actor most likely is not going to ask you this question. Yes, <laughs> Bruce Willis is going to ask you what lens do I have? Why is Bruce Willis asking what lens do you have on me? Because he knows the width of the lens. He knows how wide that shot is going to be, and that will that will translate into his performance as to how much room he will have to move within his frame. And how much of his body is being seen and exactly. how much of the body can be used in the performance. Yeah. Is the, if, if, if you're talking about like a, a close up, then it's all, it's all his face. So he doesn't have to move his body. He doesn't have to move. He's it's all in his expression. Yeah. But if it's a wide shot, if it's if it's an, like an extreme wide, then it's all in his body movements mm-hmm. rather than his facial expressions. Yeah, you know, so he knows this, okay. And you will leave it. You will generally leave it to your DP to make those decisions as to how it's going because you've already gone through this process of what you want the film, what you want the scene to say. Right, and I, and I think also on a feature, the big the big difference between a, short, a feature and a short is you've had time now to work with your DP a lot. Um, so you've created a workflow. Assumingly, a yeah. lot of time. Assumingly, you you over time you do develop a workflow with your DP. Yeah. Um, especially if you're shooting one one scene 
or one location for an extended amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've already shot, they could have already shot at this location for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. You could be nearing the end of, of, of your run, yeah. and you've just already now got the shorthand, and now you're just really focusing, mm-hmm. maybe it was an emotional scene, and you really wanted to focus on the actors. Yeah. There's there's like, a ton of reasons, like but you do. Like when me and Louis shoot. Yeah. When me and Louis shoot. Um, you guys have a shorthand. We uh, Yeah, I tell, okay, we're going for cross shots, Okay, we look at each other's cameras and we match them back, back, back to back. Uh, back okay, so let's, forth. let's we'll, we'll get yeah. one. Yes, we'll, we'll break that down exactly. But I'll tell him you do the close ups and I'll do the wides. Okay, I'm not going to check his shoulder every time to make sure he's got a close up because we've already come up with you're going to do the close ups and I'm going to do the wides yeah. where he decides to specifically angle that close up. I'm going to trust him. Yeah. And say we wanted a close up for this shot. I'm gonna trust him and his eye mm-hmm. to look at that close up and and decide the exact angle to give it the best look for what we're going for. Right. Okay. So, like for example, if you're in the middle of a conversation, I just want to be this clear. I know it's kind of my, I'm, I'm playing the dummy layman here. So, for example, if you're doing a cross shot of a, of a conversation, you know you're gonna want to leave more room in front of the mouth, right? We'll get to that. Okay. Yeah. But yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so this is why I say for feature films. I just threw you entirely there's a, off. Yes, you did. <laughs> you did. Because we're not at exactly what the shots are. Okay. <laughs> um, when it comes to features, there's so much more to shoot. Yeah. You give them the. You're giving your DP the leeway if to make those decisions. If you're looking over their shoulder all the time, you're not going to. You're get micromanaging, yeah. and you're not going to. And, and then you're paying attention more to your camera than you are to your actors, and your actors then suffer because of it. So you have to give your DP the leeway. But when it comes to something like a short film, especially with low budget films, there's there's not much going on. Hmm. You know, um, we just we did your short, and we had a whole. Eight people on the crew. Yeah. Three of which weren't even in the room no. for 90% yeah. of, of the shooting. Yeah. You know, most of the shooting was you, mm-hmm. me, Louie, yep. and Mike. Mike. Yeah. And Sarah. Sarah's Sarah was doing, Sarah. Sarah was in and out of the room, but yeah. she, she was, she was, Sarah never leaves the room just in yeah. case we need something. Yeah. You know? And she takes pictures. Yes. So. And she's taking photos, you know? But the point is... Um, if we don't need her to do, if she's not taking those photos at that moment, there's nothing else for her to do at that right. second. Right. So whether she can be in and out of the room, right. the necessary crew was four of us four. Yep. for 90% of the day in one room with the two actors. Right. If your cameraman is doing something that you're unaware of mm-hmm. and you didn't want them to do it, you as a director are lacking. Couple, couple, couple You're falling feet, I'm a couple of feet away from exactly. them. You know? Exactly. You're, we're, we're all in one little room here. Yeah. We're all in one room here. Yeah. It's me and you. You're the camera. I'm the camera. You're the director. Louis, Louis on AD and the sound guy. Mm-hmm. If you, I understand you're working with your actors, but if you're looking at me running the camera and you're wondering, wait a minute, why are we shooting from over there? Yeah. And you don't say anything. Hmm? You don't know why. Like, we had a decision as to what you wanted to, the scene to come out and right. how you wanted it to look. You know? 
and we decided the types of things. But you're looking at the scene and you're saying, why is the camera over there? Hmm? I don't like that. Yeah. I don't but want that don't, in the background. I don't want that. But you don't say anything. Yeah. That's on me. That's on you. Yeah. You know, the DP is making the decision. Right. You know, and you're trusting it. Yeah. But in the end, if you don't like the decision the DP makes, it's 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 on you. Yeah. It's on you. Um, so when somebody says to you, well, why did you decide to use this angle? Now, why did you decide to use that shot? It kind of gave the impression of this about the character. Mm -hmm. And you as the director say, well, I don't know. That was really the DP's decision. That doesn't make that doesn't well, make sense to me. It kind of feels like where was your vision? Yeah. Yeah. Who who really had the vision of this yeah. film, you or the DP? Yeah. Cuz and 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 we're talking short films here. Yeah. We're talking, you know, most short films are under 10 minutes. Most of them really are. They're yeah. under 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty that are longer than that and you know, but again, the bigger you go, the more leeway is given to different different members of the of the yeah. crew you know we're talking you know under, under even even under 15 minute films right, okay right. for, for things this example, that are shot we're, a day we're or two. using our five person one yes. two day shoot yes. as as a basis for exactly. this conversation one or two day shoot with five or six person crew there's no reason why your dp should be making any decisions that you're not aware of right and if you don't know the decision you need to know why they made that decision mm -hmm. because d just outright saying well, I don't know. The DP made that. It kind of gives the impression that the director's not, like you said, where's your vision for this? Yeah. I feel like the director should have a say in everything at that point. Because, again, with these things, you wrote it. Chances are the director wrote it. Yeah, I mean, uh, chances are. I mean, sometimes the answer. I'm not shitting on this. No. It sounds like I'm really knocking no. down. This is just this is just our opinion. No, I mean, it was just literally something that we heard that that triggered a conversation between the two of us. Yeah. Um, and we thought we'd share it with you because I don't know. That's what we do. Yeah. Anyway, sounds like we're being <laughs> shitty about it though. But I'm really not. No, being, no. I'm I mean, not being shitty. And again, it doesn't have to be some some artistic. Um, Long-winded, long-winded answer. answer. Not every single shot needs mm -hmm. to have a purpose. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you were literally not shooting it because the window was was broken, the or there was, was there. bird shit sitting on the window that you just like could not scrape off, mm -hmm. like then that's what the answer is. I've I've turned angles of a shot simply because, um, like we shoot we shoot in apartments, yeah, and a lot of apartments, especially in New York, there's a breaker box yeah. in the hallway, yeah. I've adjusted the angle of the camera just because I think the breaker box looks ugly oh on God, the wall. Oh my God, Theta, we were cursed with exit signs, exit mm -hmm. signs everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, you yeah. know sometimes we just had to do... Because we we're, we're shooting in an office. We were shooting in an office And those building. exit signs have to be there by fire code yep. and they cannot be turned off. No. And we don't have the ability to cover them up. No. We just don't. No. We don't. So a lot of shots that I made were simply because I was trying not to get the exit sign in the shot. Yeah. There's no artistic no. anything behind it. No. It's just, there's a bright, we're shooting in a dark hallway yeah. with, with this really weird dark shadows coming down. And there's a bright red exit sign at the end of the hallway on this, on the, near the ceiling. I have to angle the entire shot to avoid that damn sign. Yeah. That's it. There's nothing artistic about it. No. You know, sometimes you're shooting and you have all your lights set up and oh, we got the last, got this last scene and we've only, we got to be out of here. We got to be out of this location in an hour. Mm -hmm. 
by the time we reset all the lights, switch him to the side of the room, and get him over there to get that cross shot that you want, we've burned half an hour of our time, yeah. and then we st- and we still have to clean up. Right. We still have to finish the scene and then pack you everything up. Restore the, the next entire half location hour. and pack everything exactly. up. Yeah. Sometimes you don't have that time, so you just say to hell with it. Yeah. You do you used what you have. Yeah. And this is this is this is what we're able to do. This is what we have time to do and and that's just the decision you made. Yeah. So remember that not every single angle has to be a ridiculously artistic decision. No. Every single shot you 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 make, you try to make it look as best as you possibly can. That's your goal. Yeah. But forever I mean, we're not Stanley Kubrick here. No. We're not talking Stanley Kubrick and, you know, it's not William Friedkin where every single shot has some artistic merit to it and there's some underlying meaning behind it all. Why we chose the right angle instead of the left and why we moved in instead of out and why a 50 millimeter versus a 44 millimeter. No, no, no. Not everything can be that artistic. We don't have that money. We don't have that time right now. We don't have the budget. We don't have mm-hmm. that resources, like, you know. There's, there's you know, a thousand things we don't have. And to be and to be quite honest, we don't have that experience either. No. I wouldn't know where to begin shooting half the thing. The way the, the, the esoteric meanings that Kubrick wants to put into whatever he wants to put into. I wouldn't know where to begin shooting half that stuff. Well, is- it's so much experience and time yeah. that takes to learn how to do that so perfectly and smoothly. I, you don't need to worry about that right now. No, I mean, even like Kubrick, something as simple as, you know, in The Shining, when he unplugged the lights sometimes and plugged them in for another, you could see the cord, mm. you couldn't see the cord. It was like... No, no, that was only that was only that one scene. Or the chair, it was the chair that moved. Like, who is sometimes remember if the chair was there or not? If we want the chair in this scene, I'm like, I, I don't have that yeah. kind of experience to keep that all straightforward in my head. Mm-hmm. And we say that, and that thing, we say that, oh, we moved it, he moved it because he wants it to seem haunted. No, he probably moved it because he didn't like the way the chair looked behind Jack probably Nicholson's he head. Did. And then he's That's just claiming it's some artistic that's it no people are claiming it he claimed nothing but that's probably all it was he just in that shot he saw the chair and he's like I don't like the way that chair looks move it well it was in the previous shot nobody's gonna notice that 35, 40 years later, people are noticing it. Yeah, well, because now people are studying it. Yeah, now they're studying it. But at the time, he just looked at it like, I don't like the way the chair looks behind his head, period. That's all there is to it. It's really funny. There's this really great quote. Uh, I think Spike Lee said it. Uh, You get a lot of credit for things in your movie that you didn't intentionally put there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes it's just because the shot didn't look good. Yeah. I've moved things in shots that were in the previous shot, but not in the next one, just because I, I don't like it. It's distracting. I'm trying to see the character's face, not the chair. Chair yeah. behind them because yeah. he's sitting on the floor in that shot. Jack it's Nicholson is yes, one particular. Jack scene, Nicholson yeah. is sitting on the floor, and from that angle, if the chair were there, it would look like his head were sitting in the chair. Right. And he probably just no, I don't like it. I'd rather have the white wall behind him, mm-hmm. so that this way his face yeah. is centered and framed properly by that white wall rather yeah. than having this brown chair around him mm-hmm. with his I think brown sweater yeah you know it just didn't look right, right. so get rid of the chair sometimes it's that simple so yeah. you don't have to look for meaning in everything um, so let's move forward then yeah um, as a director again let's say you have a separate DP there's and this something... doesn't have to be like a professional DP. This could just be your buddy that knows how to run a camera. Yes, your friend who has a camera your sometimes. Your friend who has a camera. This guy he just wins. so happens to have a camera, so he's your camera guy. Yeah. Hey, it happens. That's what it is. Sometimes you don't you don't have a camera. Maybe you have a camera. He's got a better one, yeah. and he's willing to help you. 
He's your camera guy. He's your DP. Give he's him that your, credit. Give yeah. him that. Make him happy. Yep. He's your DP. Yep. So wonderful. You have your. You're the director, and you have your DP. Um, before you go into your film, there are f- a few things you need to go over with him, mm-hmm. and you need to discuss with your DP, so that this way you can give him that freedom. Right. And give them that leeway so you're not micromanaging because there's so many other things that as a director you're gonna be you're gonna be in the middle of doing. Um And it's a t- it's a time saver. I mean, he's gonna know how to light the scene. He's gonna know how to at least where to, to have an idea of what basically it is you want. put the light. Yeah, put, he's gonna basically have an, put the camera. Mm-hmm. He knows the mood you're looking for. Yeah. So all right, he can go there. Yeah. And then you just make you just make adjustments as you go on during the day. No, I'd prefer this. Okay, cool. But at least you don't have to. We did that on Blood Slaughter. Mm-hmm. I walked worked this dude. Now Ralph wasn't my DP, no. but Ralph was. He knew what I wanted. Yeah. So he was able to set up the room while I work with the actors in the other room. We do went through some rehearsals and things like that, while he set up the room. And then when I came in, I just told him, "No, just move that here and put that there. Take this down, you know, and just make the little tiny adjustments." Yeah. But it's already ninety percent of the job is done already, and all he needs is my approval. Right, and 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 Ralph is. Not, I mean, we love Ralph. I I cannot speak highly enough of Ralph. I miss Ralph so much. Um, but Ralph was not trained in any sort of way or fashion. He was literally no. our friend who was sleeping on our floor while we were making the movie, mm-hmm. and he wanted <laughs> to help in any way he possibly could. Yeah. So he was just literally staying with us while he found while he got up back on his feet and was because he sat there listening to the you and I talk. Mm-hmm. He was on the same page as the, the, two, the two of us yep. were. Every night when we got home, when you got home from work, we'd sit down, have our little talk about what little we, production meeting, what I worked on during the day and what I need you to work on. Because because we've worked opposing schedules for a long time Yeah, where you would get home and then a couple hours later I would leave for work. So we'd have our little meeting there. Mm hmm. And what I need when I leave, here's what I need you to handle, and right. this is what I've been doing during the day, and this is what Ralph's been doing during the day, and he was there for all of it. So mm-hmm. he was that third head, yeah. that third eye in the middle of it all. So when we when we got to set, he was 100 percent knew With everything. Us. Yes, yeah. he knew everything that we knew. Yeah, back and forth. Right. Um, I don't so, think we could have gotten the movie done without no, him. No. So get yourself a Ralph. Yeah, get yourself um, a Ralph. Always. So what are some of the things that we need to that 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 as a director, hmm? you need now. I, I'm I'm a little. We're, we're, I guess me personally, I'm a little ignorant to some of the stuff simply because I am my own DP. Yeah. So a lot of it's already in my head. So right. there's not like I don't have to make a. You're list very then. visual person. So you yeah. already have a lot of, of your visuals without even having to put the legwork in. Yeah, and when I and a lot of the time, like we said, a lot of the time the director wrote the script. When I wrote the script, I had certain angles already in mind. Yeah. So just looking at, I I walk into the scene, and I can't see any other way of shooting it than the way I pictured it a year ago when I wrote it. Right. It's there already. Which is why you benefit so, from having a second camera because yes. they, they pick up things you didn't think of. Exactly, yes. Louis, yeah. Louis has gotten plenty of shots that I never thought of that looked phenomenal. Right. In the end, it's like, wow. Now, there's a couple of shots we have... Blood Slaughter, a lot of the shots we used as promo shots of Charlotte, specifically that scene, those were his. Because I didn't see them. I had it... Oh, he made it so Halloween, and and you so did not have it like that. No, I had it totally differently. But his shots shaped the way the scene went in the edit, because he had... Those two or three key shots that just nailed it. Yeah. You know? And it's not that I... It's the mood that I wanted... Hmm? But 
like we said, when it comes to the director's got so many other things he's worried about, yeah. sometimes you just miss it. Mm-hmm. So having that second camera helps me a lot. Yeah. Especially because he knew what I wanted. He mm-hmm. knew what we were going for. And we developed this with Louis as well. We developed it with him from the beginning. So he had that same yeah. thought. But when well, we got to set... We've been working with Louis for, for what, almost 10 years? Yeah. But, but when we got to set, the point was that he could focus on nothing but the camera. Right. He was He was allowed, he was able to do nothing but worry about getting the right shot. Yeah. And I told him, I want medium here, I want close up there, I want this there. And I was able to give him the ability to just freeform and, and say, and here, get it. What's amazing about Louis, um, I know, I can't believe I just said that either, um, but he has wow. this encyclopedic, uh, like, he has an encyclopedia of shots from horror movies mm-hmm. in his brain. Yeah. And he can literally sit there and look at a scene and literally go we through both, We, we both do, and, his... I, and I say that to him yeah. when we shoot sometimes. Yeah. We both have that visual... Yeah, that visual file of file cabinet in our head of certain shots, and I'll tell him, I want when we did Theta. Well, what is this scene going to look like? The end of Nightmare on Elm Street three, and he got it. He knew I didn't have to explain any more than that. He knew exactly what we were going for, and when I gave it to the CG guy, he knew what we were going for. When Mm -hmm. All of it. All right, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 here. This scene, we want the Halloween shot of Jamie Lee Curtis on the stairs. Gotcha. This one over here, we want uh, Slumber Party Massacre when she opens the fridge. Got it. Uh, This is pieces. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We knew, uh, between me and Louie, we have that shorthand where we remember those certain shots in Mm -hmm. movies. And I can tell him, remember that shot? Yeah, that's that's what we're going for. And we work towards it that way. Now... I don't give him a specific for every single shot. Mm. But if somebody were to say to me, hey, why did you decide to do it that way? Well, honestly, we were going for this. And I have a reason. Or, well, the light was in the way. I had to shoot. (laughs) The light was in the way. And we we didn't have time. It was 2.30 in the morning. We had been shooting for for 10 hours straight. And it was either moving the light or moving myself. Yeah, it was either spending the next 10 minutes and moving. Yeah, it was either spend 10 minutes, move the light, and try to find a spot where it's still mat, where the the shadows still match with the light on the other side. Or move the damn camera. We'll move the camera. Right. (laughs) Move the camera four inches to the left. Yeah. You know? So those are the decisions we decided to make. But uh, so anyway. So I'm kind of the different. I'm, why I I'm a little I'm different. Yeah. Um, you know, I went to film school. And, I mean, when I say film school, it's not that I went to like New York Film Academy. I, you know, I went to a college that had a film program and I have a, you know, bachelor's in media arts. That mm. just sounds like I'm bragging. Wow. Anyway. Wow. Um, so, so I special. took. I'm so special. I'm a professional. Uh-huh. Um, so I took, actually took a cinematography class um, as part of my, you know, whatever. And part of that class was, oh, it's so film school. It's so film school. I'm sure you remember this. The horrible graphs that they made me create. <laughs> my professor made us create these graphs where um, it, was the visual, it was creating the visual journey mm-hmm. of your film. Yeah. Um, how things were going to change, how you had to take in, I don't even remember, there was like 10 different things I had to consider, like color, um, um, brightness, um, tone, tone, contrast, linear versus, uh, oh God, what is that other one? The graphic lines. 
Linear versus nonlinear? It wasn't nonlinear, dynamic or something. They had a fancy. And it's not linear. You're thinking of. I don't remember. Anyway, there's a ton of them, but I literally had to like look at my film from ten different perspectives and figure Mm -hmm. out how the visuals were going to change through throughout the scene, throughout the the film itself. Yeah. Um, When you watch films, colors change as your main character changes. Uh, I don't do it so much that way. I color code scenes. And I, that's that's how I do it personally. Right. And some filmmakers do. I prefer to color code the scenes rather than the movie Which as I a think whole. Is, it makes a lot more sense, and I think it just it, it, it's a lot more seamless for the for the viewer. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a lot more. Um, it's the inception visualable. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the inception thing. Vis- every visible. every layer in inception, every dream layer that they had in inception, one had rain, one had snow, one had one was inside a building, you know, and every layer was themed, had mm-hmm. a different so that that made it easier for the viewer to separate which level of the dream we were watching at that moment uh, uh, as the movement of the scenes got slower and slower we started with we we had them in a plane and the airplane is moving at three thousand miles an hour you know then the next level is rain and it's fast falling rain but it's not three thousand miles an hour right then it's cars and you're in a Uh, car the the rain in the car yeah Yeah. uh then we go into the hotel which is kind of the neutral the area that they wanted to be right that's where they had to stop and this is where they were going to do the inception and then they were actually walking in a a neutral whatever yeah so this is where they had to stop but then they realized they had to go to yet another layer Mm -hmm. and they ended up in snow which which falls slower yeah so every Every layer of the film, the environment moved slower and slower around them in order to visually cue the audience to how much time and the speed right. at which the dream is moving now comparative to reality. Right. So, I mean, oh, God, it sounds so pretentious and film schoolish. Um, but I think, you know, now looking back, I understand why my professor tortured us with these horrible graphs. And it wasn't. You know, I mean, he wasn't grading us on our line chart abilities, um, but it really was. These are the things that you have to take into account. These are the things you have to know when you're going into a film, either as a cinematographer and, or as a director. Yeah. And it, it was helping us create that language and, and, and help forcing us to look at the film like that. Yeah. So I, you don't have to do line graphs. You don't have to do that stuff. I mean, there's basic things. Um, your colors, you know, mm-hmm. um, if you have dreams. Versus reality. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you know, day versus night. Uh, scenes that are, are darker in mm-hmm. tone. In, in Blood Slaughter, we had a lot of warm tones. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scenes where the Ripper was taking control were much cooler. Yeah. The whole movie is very warm, except for the Ripper's scenes, which are much cooler. Right. Um, the babysitter scene is perfect is a perfect example it's very warm it's very soft focus mm-hmm. until he shows up and you find him you the first time you see him in the scene he's at the back of a hallway and there's a blue light hitting him yeah and then we cut which is like a foreign element in the in the warm yes yes he's invading yeah the their their reality and then we cut to outside the building to see him through the window yeah and uh and it's, it's very so dark and, and it's very dark yeah. and we still have warm colors outside because the street lights mm-hmm. 
in New York are very were very were <laughs> were very orange colored. So everything outside looked very orange looking at the building. But the for that shot to do that, we turned on a different light in the house and the house inside was suddenly cooler colored than outside. So now there's this white light bursting through the windows in the outside world that's all warm colored right. and it's the ripper taking over that, that particular location yes that room he yeah. you know he controls that space and when you get to the end of the movie the entire last 10 or 15 minutes of the movie is lit in totally blue light because he has comp- he cuts out the power of the of the house mm-hmm. and from the from the point that the power turns off until the very end of the movie the entire film is lit with blue and white lights right. because he's in complete control of what's going on and even in the end when we get the surviving scene they go outside and it's the daytime it's now daytime they step out of the house and it's daytime but it's not very warm daytime either. It's very neutral daytime. Yeah. I didn't go cool. I didn't go warm. And and you know, there's a reason for that when you actually see the ending of it. But it's it's a very neutral daytime color. It didn't go warm or cold. Yeah. It's right in the middle because that's what I wanted it to look like. Right. And that's how I color coded the film. Whenever the Ripper's in charge, whenever he's controlling, it goes blue or it goes cool to blue. Mm-hmm. And whenever the characters think they're in charge and they're running this, they're, you know, when it's everything's, when he's not influencing the moment, it's very warm colors. Right. Uh, Theta states we went with green. I went with a lot of green for Danny's world. The nightmares are all blue. And whenever the demon is in control or something, it goes cool and it goes blue. That just seems to be my. Your palette. Yeah, my personal palette. Uh, we have we had green in some scenes, blue in a lot of others. Um, we stick to a lot of blue and oranges. Yeah. I, I liked green for the... I wanted to go yeah, green for, we for to, Theta. I remember going green I think, for Theta. I think we went green uh, once we get to the doctor's office. Before that, it was I mean, kind even, of Even orange. his wardrobe, almost all of his wardrobe had some element of green or, or, green. or, or earth mm-hmm. tone to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, this is, we have, we, it sounds very complicated. It sounds very like... I don't even know how to make that decision. You just make the decision. Yeah. It's your world. You create it. Yeah, it's how you um, want it to feel. But understand that certain colors create certain feelings right. within your audience. You know, um, blue is going to give you either a nighttime feel mm. or a technology feel. Mm. Green is also uh, indicative of technology. When right, you look like the at, Matrix. That's yes. why they use green. Yep. Yeah. When you look, I was going to say, when you look at sci-fi posters, right. you have red, which is usually danger, danger or slashers, mm-hmm. more human right more human danger is red yeah. um and oh of course blood and danger yeah uh supernatural is usually blue mm-hmm. technology is red is uh, uh green green we went blue and green for the movie because it's technology and supernatural right there's not much red mm. used through the film, with the exception of Aaron's bright red hair. And the exit signs. <laughs> and the exit signs, yeah. But Aaron had this really bright, her hair was really bright red. Right. You know? And um, honestly, we used it as, I liked the fact that her we hair was her bright in, red. in black and red, too. Mm-hmm. Like subconsciously kind of, kind of telling everybody, watch out. It's kind of, yeah, watch there, there is an element of danger within her. Yeah. Um, 
and the doctor's office is where this movies went. It was where this movie started to turn green, mm-hmm. and all of his nightmares were blue. Yeah. So there, so we have the technology, we have the supernatural in the blue and the green, and we have the danger in the red. Yep. And there are a couple of points where where red will pop up in the film. And they are key moments that will tell you that the character is probably not paying attention to the warning signs. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, literal and signs sometimes. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and it's weird. I mean, not, this is not something that you do so that people will actually point out and be like, oh, hey, I noticed you. Yeah, read yeah. Most of the time people no. aren't going to notice it. They're no. not going to notice it at all. This is, this is more, it, it, it's using... The more the more we make films, and the more I, I kind of spend in the world of of filmmaking and art and creativity, you know, the idea of a hive mind, where you know we do have a visual shorthand that we as a society, we as a species, understand, and it's like yes, red, stop, danger, mm-hmm. you know, and and using those cues and and building your world upon that world really saves you a lot of time, energy, and effort, you know, it it it. There are clear ways, and I mean, study color theory. Study. Yeah. It's it's subliminal. Yes. The colors are very subliminal, and it triggers a certain emotion within your audience, and that's what you're trying to mm-hmm. do. You're not trying to get them to say, "Hey, man, that was really clever that they did that." Yeah. Because I'm 99 of the time they're not going to no. notice it. It's people like like. I don't know about you so much, but me, I like to dissect films, and I like to find those those things in it those little subtle subliminal clues yeah uh like uh like the use of red in american beauty mm-hmm. you know the different colors and and themes within within kubrick's movies and and uh, really, darren, darren really, aronofsky oh really my God. really great way to find this information out is is literally listening to the commentaries on dvd yes yeah. um we do that almost all the time we're actually currently in the middle of the leprechaun uh, mm-hmm. films and with the new box set you can watch the film and then each film has its own little behind the scenes little behind like a little featurette on it where they kind of talk about whatever of. yeah um, so you get a lot of information from there and, and you it, it really helps you kind of get into the mind of another filmmaker mm-hmm. and start to shape your mind to think in the same way so and I know it sounds like super overwhelming and it's really not. I mean, no. just start with simple. I mean, if you have to focus on colors for your first funds, just focus on colors. Yeah. Learn what colors do and do not work. Yeah. I don't even think you focus on it for your first ones because it's something you learn over time. Yeah. You know, there's plenty of, there's, there's a couple of spots in Blood Slaughter where the colors do, don't actually, no, no, that's not exactly the same palette because some scenes are just, I didn't do it right. Yeah, I free. just didn't do you, it right. Your first one, don't even make... just get it done. Yeah. <laughs> We've yeah. talked about I, that. I had, just get it done. With Blood Slaughter. Your second one, your third one, your fourth one. Yeah. With Blood Slaughter, I had some things I wanted to do. And sometimes we, sometimes a lot of the scenes we got it done that way. And other scenes we just didn't. It was like, yeah. just shoot the damn thing. Yeah. You know, because there's too many other things going on for me to focus on what color this light yeah. is right now. Because sometimes you know, like, like oh, your recorder will start to overheat and then die in the middle of a shoot day. And then all of your plans for that day are now compromised because your yeah. producer has to run out to Best Buy and get a new one. So, you know, these things happen. So, yeah, no, definitely color is one thing to talk about. Um, speeds we've kind of talked about. Um, speeds? I don't know. What do you I mean? Was, I was going on your inception. Oh yeah. Well, I, I was yeah. It was just a it, okay. Th- that's where I was going with that. Um, the speed of your edits. Mm-hmm. Um, you're gonna shoot a dialogue scene, a heavy dialogue scene, differently than you're gonna shoot a montage. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're literally just going to, you know, if you're planning on just doing a super quick cut, that's one thing to tell your DP because then he's going to shoot in an entirely different way. Yeah. Um, you know, we've actually had a mm-hmm. couple of times that we've, you know. I, there was one scene once on, on, on another project where I was told that it was going to be a montage. Yep. It was going to be a montage of... of um, a prep, a preparation montage, and I saw it a certain way in my head, mm. and I said, "Okay, well, we're going to do this, and it's going to be a lot of quick cuts. Boom, 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 boom. We'll cut back and forth. Like think of Commando when uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is putting on all the guns and everything, and lots of zip, 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 zip you know, lots yeah. of little sound effects and quick cuts and back and forth to him clicking the gun and zipping the zipper and you know attaching the the thing and pulling up his boots and whoop with the laces and you know the hat goes on, the jacket comes on, you know, the smear goes across the face right. and you know, and that's how I saw it. And I shot it that way. Uh, um, now, this was a very hectic set. So I was upstairs shooting that while there was uh, something else being shot elsewhere. Right. So I was running B crew, basically. Right. I mm-hmm. was B cam while the director was downstairs. I believe it was with Louie at the time. That was me. Was it you? Yeah, it was shooting, you. shooting another scene downstairs. Uh, oh, like, yeah, Louie uh, was downstairs. Yes. We were upstairs. Yep. Yeah. We were upstairs. We were upstairs. Louis was downstairs doing another mm-hmm. very specific thing that the director needed done. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, all right, you handle that. That's a very your montage. You can handle a montage on your own. Yes, I can handle it. Um, but the direction of the montage was apparently not clearly relayed to me as to how he wanted the montage. He wanted more of a slow montage. Right. You know, this montage would go over the course of maybe a minute, well, minute and a half. wanted the montage to focus on the people, not the action. Yes. And I looked at it like, well, these are just a bunch of nameless, faceless soldiers hmm? prepping. Right. So it's, to me, the feeling was more about... The urgency. The urgent, yes, exactly. The urgency, the speed as to how quickly they're mobilizing and moving out because right. there's danger. Yeah, this is the cavalry. To... The cavalry is, is being called upon. Yes. The cavalry is coming. <laughs> yes, but he saw it more as being important about who they are yeah. and whether or not them as soldiers were seeing this as soldiers or were they seeing this as people about to go up against other people? Right. He saw more of an emotional moment for them in a quick montage. And I didn't see it that way. I saw it a lot more mechanical. So the way I shot it, when he saw the footage, he didn't understand what it was we shot. Right. He didn't, he's, well, I didn't, and he said, I didn't see where, where are the characters? I don't see them. I said, but no, this isn't, We didn't get the characters. We got the characters prepping. He just wasn't clear enough to me of what it was he wanted. So I shot it the way I saw it. Right. And that's the sort of thing you need to be very clear. These are the sorts of prepping that you need to go into with your DP. If you're Mm -hmm. going to trust him to do it, he needs to be able to go in with a full understanding of what it is. Of how it's going to fit into the big picture. Exactly. Exactly. Because, Because this was going... And again, this was going into a a scene of a bunch of guys in a room planning right. this invasion. Right. So, so these me, guys were actually planning these these what's going to happen to these people. These people are they're sending these people mm-hmm. out yeah. and that's what his focus was on. Yeah. And to me it was they're talking about them like they're a bunch of nameless faceless soldiers. Right. 
So I shot them like nameless, faceless sh- soldiers because the guys in the room are the characters. Mm-hmm. And you need to, and I felt you needed to convey to the audience how they saw these soldiers. Right. But the he director wanted, the, wanted it the other way. He, he wanted, wanted the to audience to suppose these cold yes. men who were literally sending people out to their yes, deaths. Yes, he wanted you to see them as human. Yeah. Before you were yeah. explained that they're just bullet fodder. Yeah. To the men in the room, they're, they're yes. bullet fodder, yes. not to the audience. Exactly. To the audience, he wanted yeah. them to he be He wanted people. an audience to have a connection with them before the men sever that connection. Yeah. Or try to sever it. So my, again... And it's so it's such a small difference between <laughs> But it made such a big one. It makes one. <laughs> a huge such a small thing between me and him seeing that scene completely differently. Yeah. And he just told me shoot a montage scene and that was ninety percent of the extent of the direction that I had, you know? Yeah. And um his producer was in this room while we were shooting it mm-hmm. and he was cool with what we were doing. He yeah. liked the way we were shooting it. He was with it, you know? So in the end, the director and producer ended up fighting over it. Right. Because the director's like, well, wait a minute. You were there to make sure it was shot properly. Right. You know, it's not that I shot it badly. Everything- It looked great. Well, it looked great. But it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't what, what he wanted. wanted. It wasn't his vision. So he ended up arguing with the producer. He's like, I can't get mad at him because you were there. Yeah. He can't get mad at me because the producer was there watching me do it. Yeah. And that's exactly what we're where this started with, where if as the director, there's a shot and something that's made- why don't you should always have an answer as to why that shot was used? Why did they? Sh- why did you shoot it this way? What were you trying to convey? Yeah. And if you don't have that answer, then you're missing something about your own movie. Mm-hmm. Then it's not your film anymore. Yeah. I mean that that literally is a perfect example of how you, a director's vision can can be changed. Yes, can easily be changed by just a simple miscommunication. Yeah. Um, what else? What what else should you? As the director, no, in order to tell you, to speak to your DP. Camera movement. Um, if your camera is going to be steady, if it's going to be handheld, um, if it's going to be on a dolly, mm-hmm. those are all big, big differences. Everything, everything like that. They all have different move, different emotions to yeah. them. Handheld is going to be a little frenzied. It's going to be like a little. It can be urgent. It can be shaky. It can. It, it creates that. Handheld makes you feel like you're there. Yeah. It makes a handheld gives it more of a realistic feeling mm-hmm. un- until you start getting into that really horrible we're not, shaky. We're, we're not talking wrestling cameras here. Yes, yeah. <laughs> handheld cameras uh, bring the audience directly into the room. Mm. Uh, steady cams do that too. Yeah. Makes you feel like you're there because it mimics it mimics the movement of a person walking through a room. Mm. Uh, so if you're going handheld, then you're really going to immerse your your audience into the scene. Is that what you want? Do you want them to feel like they're in there? Now, when you're in in a horror movie, that's usually what you want. Right. You want them to feel like they're in the room with these characters and that they're experiencing this. But that's not the only way to get it either. There are plenty of other ways of getting it. But shorthanded, uh, handheld camera is going to make your audience feel like they're sitting with your characters. It's right. going to pull them into it. Um, Tripods is usually something that you want to focus on the performance for. If, if you're going to deliver important information, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, tripods. I don't like tripods. I know you don't. I don't like cameras on tripods. Uh, and my main reason for not liking it is simply because our lighting is not up to Hollywood standard. Right. Um, 
when you put stick your camera on a tripod, you flatten out your shot. Everything goes flat and it goes mm-hmm. dull. All right. And now I've seen plenty of Hollywood films where the camera is still and it just sits there. What's his name? A- Anderson. Wes Paul, Anderson. Wes Anderson. Does it all the time. Yeah. Oh, my God. He shoots <laughs> these wide shots. He keeps the camera still in this wide, in this wide warped and angle. Like, and like nothing's happening in the scene either. Yeah. <laughs> but the scene doesn't look flat. No. Okay? And that's because of the lighting. Mm-hmm. That's because he's shooting on a set. Lights are built into the ceiling. They're built into the floors. They're built into the walls. They're bouncing off of different... He has an entire team of grips There's and an enti- Exactly. And- <laughs> There's an entire team of lighting guys who are lighting every single spot of that room. And every single shadow is controlled. Mm-hmm. Okay? And especially when you're going to do something like that where the camera is dead still... Every step and movement of those actors is choreographed to go to a specific spot so that because if that actor takes a little half a step too far, he may end with a shadow across his face. So everything is very specific movements, very highly choreographed. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, on low budget film, we just don't have that kind of time or money Mm -hmm. or we don't have the locations for that. They plan out everything, every single thing that's in that still shot is it's like painted in there and that's where it's going to be and there's no argument right okay uh so if you're gonna put your cameras on a dead still tripod you're gonna lose your depth Hmm. you're gonna lose a lot of depth in the scene so you have to be very specific about where you put your lights and everything's got to be lit properly Everything in the background's got to make sense. Yes, your actor's key light has to be able to follow them without casting a moving shadow on the wall behind them. Because the eye will automatically go to the moving... moving. Yeah, if your actor moves and then suddenly a a shadow from them moves in a different direction, the audience's eye is going to be drawn to that shadow away from their face and you want their face to stay, you know? So... um, which is why I said that when your when your character is, is delivering important information, mm-hmm. that's why I said put it on a tripod. I may be entirely wrong here, but well, you want steady. You want to go you steady. Want steady. You want to go steady for something like that because you want all the focus on your character and what they're saying. Yes, yeah. Um, moving shots. Uh, what what are they? Oh man, I always forget the difference between the two. There's one when your characters. Okay, when you're moving forward, your mm-hmm. camera's moving forward. Yeah. It gives the impression of the story moving forward. Right. This is a point where we're bringing our story forward. So you move forward with your character and let the camera follow them. Um, when the characters are moving toward the camera, um, it's, it's the feeling of them, of the characters coming to you and bringing you something. Right. You know? Um, like bringing you information, it, bringing you. Yes, yeah, they're bringing something to this now, and they're and it's like they're coming at you with it, and the audience uh, is now walking along with your characters, learning along with them. But when you're walking behind them and they're walking forward, you're following the characters, right. you know. So you're discovering it based on what they're saying rather than them discovering it and telling you what they've discovered. Okay. Um, 
and you get that in TV shows. House. Mm-hmm. Half the show, oh, yeah. House. Half of the show is them walking toward the camera mm-hmm. because they're presenting you with information. And then the other half need, is literally you walking behind him, following him. Following him <laughs> along his journey and discovering it along with him. Yeah. You know? Uh, Doctor Who does that a lot. You're either walking toward the camera or the camera's following them behind. So are you a passenger on this journey or are you gathering information on this journey? Right. Okay, and, and if you watch the scenes, you'll see the difference between the information. When they're walking toward the camera, this is something you need. Don't worry about where we're going. No. Don't, we're moving the story forward, but don't worry about where we're moving it forward because we're going to tell you. Mm-hmm. Just pay attention to what they're saying. We need to be able to see their faces clearly so that this way you read their lips, you see their emotions, and it's all in. So you get what they need you to know. Mm-hmm. It's all information being conveyed to the audience. So these are certain things you need to you you, you should be thinking of. Yeah. Um, then there's then there's um, the shots themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you can look this up online. Just do a search for um, camera angle camera shots. Angle. Yeah, yeah, and you'll get a graph, and the graph will tell you what a wide shot is, what's a medium, what's an extreme close-up, what's a medium wide, what's a close-up. What's what are a two-shot, a group shot. Yeah, what are the differences between them? Um, and what is it that you want to convey? Uh, in Theta, we had a... This was something that was... I actually saw it. I saw a, um, a video essay where they explained No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. And there's the one scene with... Uh, Woody Harrelson and the other, um, the other, uh, the French guy, I think, right, sitting across from each other in the room, and there's no shot of the two of them. There's no point in the whole. Do they end up in the same shot? Because they're two men from their own worlds with their own perspectives that can't meet in the middle. Yes, they can't seem to meet, and they're each of their. Um, agendas in this scene is now clashing okay there is one point where you see them in the same shot and it's the killer the french guy i cannot think of his name french guy his shoulder moves into this close shot it's it's it was a uh, medium a medium close shot of Woody Harrelson and his shoulder kind of moves into the shot and it gave the impression of him taking over right Woody Harrelson's world mm-hmm. um him pushing his way in and i watched this and i hate i don't like saying it this way but um i actually did the same thing with data states not because I saw it in this. I saw this much later, you know, but I noticed it in the edit that it was something that I, that I did. The opening shot is the two of them in the room and they're both sitting on opposite couches each other and they're on opposite ends of the frame. Right. Then through the rest of the scene, there is only one or two points where you actually see them in the same frame. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is two guys sitting opposite each other with their own agendas and their own ideas one of them trying to impart it onto the other. And the other one, and, and, and I had him, he moved forward at certain points and he moved back at other points. Mm-hmm. And that 
conveyed that whole jury thing. The yeah. jury, when the jury sits forward, they're listening. When they sit back, they've made up their mind. Yeah. So I had him do that in certain points too, where he leans back because uh, he's made up his mind. And then yeah. once he does that, the doctor then leans forward. Because mm-hmm. now he's coming into him. And that's one of the moments where we see him. Yeah, he no, leans literally forward. the conversation, he, 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 he decides against what the other guy is trying what to do. What the doctor's he, trying to yeah, tell him. What the doctor's trying to tell him. And he literally moves back and the, the doctor moved forward. Yeah. Like just chasing after him, mm-hmm. trying to keep him. It, yeah. It, it, and then once the doctor has him hooked mm-hmm. and he starts to get that idea again, he, the doctor leans back again, yeah. giving him the room to feel it out. Yeah. Okay. And those are the only two shots where you see him and the doctor and it's over, it's over the doctor's shoulder. The only two shots where you see the doctor and him in the same frame. It's when he moves into his world and when he kind of pulls back to give him the room he needs to become comfortable with it. Yeah. He gets him just close enough that he discovers it and agrees to it on his own yes yeah um so those were and 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 those are all specific decisions as to where now i didn't shoot it that specifically Hmm. i did it in the edit yeah i knew that that's kind of what i wanted to do with it so i used the basic graft a basic graft a basic graph idea of wide medium Medium, close, close. Mm -hmm. And I just shot them both in those because I wanted this scene to be, like you said, it's it's an information scene. It's where we're learning something and we need the audience to pay attention to what they're saying. So I I didn't want to get all abstract and weird with the shots because then the shots become distracting to what's actually happening in the scene. The scene is all about them and what they're saying and their conversations. So it's all about it's all about the decision that's going to mm-hmm. be made from this conversation. Yeah. So I kept the shots very simple and basic. Mm-hmm. So this way you're not distracted. Right. And we did it again in the end with another informa- with, with two more information scenes yeah. in the, kept it very very basic. Uh, because I don't want the audience distracted. Mm-hmm. Looking at, oh man, that's a really cool light. Oh, look what they did over here. Look, I want you to forget about the camera work for a while and just realize you're sitting here with these characters and you need to pay attention to what they're saying. Yeah, and just sit with them. Yeah, just sit here and listen. Yeah. Because if you miss this, then the next half hour of the film isn't going to make any sense. Right. So, um... So I kept the filming of of those scenes very, very simple. Mm -hmm. And it shows. When you look at it, suddenly it slows down at that moment. And you slow down with it. Uh, What else we have? Oh, no, go ahead. Um, Well, the other thing is, uh, the big thing that they teach you in film school, which I know drives you crazy. um, In film school, they teach you the way to shoot a scene is wide, medium, then close up. Yeah. Um, it doesn't drive me crazy. I just don't agree with it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't agree with it at, at this level. Um, yeah. You shoot your wide shot. You shoot your, ma- and they call it the master shot. You mm-hmm. shoot the wide shot, which is all of the action of the scene in one, in, in a wa- in one master wide shot. Right. And then you move closer as you go through the course of your day, shooting your scene, you get closer to your actors. Right. And that's, and that's in order to study what the actors are actually doing. And then you can drill into the things that you need. Yes. That's the theory of that one. That uh, version. I tend to do the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's mainly because, um, the caliber I, and the experience. Of yeah. The caliber and experience of a lot of the actors we have, uh, some of them are very good. Mm-hmm. Some of them are very green. Yeah. And um, I, good example also, same scene in Theta States. 
the doctor had a lot of very specific dialogue. Very scientific. Very, yes. He was he was a doctor and he's talking like a doctor. He's yeah. using a lot of very specific terms. Mm -hmm. And um, when he's talking about the brain wave, the brain, the state, the different levels of, of brain waves and the, and the speeds of his brain and the speeds of your brain, it had to be very specific. He had to get the dialogue perfect. Right. Because if he says alpha instead of uh, beta, then he's just wrong. wrong. Yeah. He's just incorrect. <laughs> he's not a very good doctor then. Yeah, exactly. And, and the movie is not factually correct. Right. Uh, so he needed time to get through all of that and get it all out. Get his rhythm. Get the rhythm, yeah, get the rhythm right, get the dialogue in the right order. Mm -hmm. So first thing I did was I shot the other character's dialogue first. Right. I shot the patient's dialogue. So that this way, we had already gone through 10 or, tw by the time we got to the doctor, we've done this 15 times. And he's got it now. Mm -hmm. He's had plenty of time to, because if he makes a mistake, he's off camera. Right. And it's just a matter of... You're not going to use that footage. Exactly. I'm not going to use the footage anyway. Because no. you know, he's off camera. You're not going to use, you're not gonna use that use, sound. Exactly. Yeah. I can use the footage of the other character. Plenty of footage of... Plenty of reaction shots of the, of the, other, of the patient. Right. But with the doctor, it had to be very specific. And it, and it gave him the ability to actually study what got a reaction from the, from the other actor. Yes. Yeah. So he was able to work off of him right. a whole lot easier. Mm -hmm. uh, but by the time we got to his close-ups... Dialogue nailed it. He right. was able to get through all of it in a couple of takes. When about, I, I think we did of every angle, maybe two or three takes of every angle, mm -hmm. and he was able to get it on almost every take because by that time he'd said it fifteen friggin' times, right? And he got it. Yeah, that's the same. I use that same concept when it comes to this. I get the close-ups of the actors. Um. Because it's easy to cut away from close-ups. It's much easier to cut back and forth between close-ups than it is to cut from wide shots. Yeah. Because the truth is, I like wide shots. I like two shots. I like being able to see a lot happen in the scene. So you want them further developed. Exactly. I'd rather have the wide shot be absolutely perfect performance that they've been they've been we've been be the playing one take scene. wonder yeah. yeah we've been we've been doing this scene we've been shooting the scene for an hour now by the time we get to the last take which is the wide shot they've got it nailed yeah they've done it so many times they're not going to make any mistakes they're not going to flub it they've got it yeah so i can do the entire scene in a solid take and we do that two or three times and we have it all and a couple of times in Theta States, we have that. We have these two wide shots where we did plenty of close-ups and everything, but the wide shot, they got through it. Mm -hmm. They got through a two-minute scene in one solid take, and the dynamic was good, and their timing was perfect, and they nailed it. And, they and, knew and because I you had wanted. already seen the scene so many times, you already had your your movements, your camera mm -hmm. movements figured out. Yeah. So I was able to- So it was to, one beautiful dance. Exactly. I was <laughs> able to move with them in the in the shot a little bit, and we, were able to, we knew with it, what they were going to do. Everything was planned planned the sound person was on point to follow them properly they knew the timing they knew the beats they knew the speed they got it all so we were able to get 
in two or three takes, really good, solid wide shots. Right. And then you can end up taking the entire scene and leaving it in a wide shot. Yeah. And it looks so nice. Spielberg does wide shots like no one else. Mm -hmm. His wide shots, they go from wides to two shots to close-ups by just having this dance around the room and letting the characters kind of interact with the camera without actually interacting with the camera. The camera only moves very slightly. Right. But that takes a lot of choreography and a lot of prep, a lot of work to figure out where exactly the actors can and cannot move so that they look so that the camera mo- movements follow them and the way he'll do it is they'll spend three hours rehearsing the whole damn right. thing before they shoot anything and they may met, do do it with the cameraman and the sound guy and they figure out all the choreography of the scene and then they shoot it that way and then they punch in for the close-ups that they need for certain lines and certain certain reactions certain this certain that we don't have that kind of time. We don't have the crew. <laughs> we don't have the time or the crew exactly yeah. to prep for two hours for one just to get the wide shot. Yeah. So I do the opposite and I use my close-ups as the prep for the wide. Right. And then my close-ups, I say, well, just try this a little bit differently and we'll just punch in. Like when we're all done and look at it, like I just need a little bit more motion from you i need a little bit more animation from you in your in your close-up so let's do it one more time right and we do it and that's why i shoot in the opposite Uh, i'm sure that that would drive a lot of dps crazy (laughs) i'm sure that my you know but it just that's what works for us yeah and it and it's always kind of worked for us it's just how i like to work i think i think a lot of it came from um we're making a short film um very very early in our days um called home and uh, we had two rather green actors. We had friends who were acting mm-hmm. for us at the time. And we had we had one actor who had the case of the giggles. Yeah. Which, like, we had taken two of our friends and we had dressed them up in, in styles that in no way... Now realize that our <laughs> friends are night clubbing. At the time, they're night clubbing goth kids. And they, so seeing, so being, uh, being in a scene in office clothes and a shirt and a tie yeah. with his hair slicked back was... We put him in a sweater vest. Yeah. Like... He felt like Mr. Rogers. Yes. You know, and this is a guy who is normally in, you know, leather pants and, you know, makeup. Covered in with tattoos. His, yeah. his hair is halfway down his back. Exactly. <laughs> he's got he's got a ring. He's got silver rings on every finger and all these bracelets and necklaces. He looks like Chris Angel. Yeah. You know, and suddenly now we're literally dressing him like Mr. Rogers. Right. He felt ridiculous. Right. You know. He did it for us. He was he got through it. He did it. He didn't even want to share it with anybody because he just felt he looked so silly. He yeah. couldn't even look at it. Right. You know, but he understood at the time he's an actor. He, mm-hmm. At this moment, he's an actor. He's not playing himself. He's playing a character. Yeah. As silly as it feels, this is how the character dresses. So he did it. Right. And he did a good job. He did a great job. But. But the character who's playing opposite of him just could not could not take him him, serious. Seeing him in this (laughs) outfit, she couldn't stop laughing. So a couple of the scenes, we actually had him acting to no one. Yeah. Because she had to walk out of the room. And he was just saying his scenes to an empty chair. Right. And then when we did her shots, we stepped him away. Yeah. So she just said the lines. Right. And by the time you did them, we got to the both of them enough times where they got over it. Mm-hmm. They got 
we were able to do the wide shots then of right. the two of them. Well, I was thinking about the other moment um, when we had a, a guy who was playing opposite him and we were shooting on the train stations of New York City, which, of course, we have no permits for. So we're shooting a guerrilla style. Uh-huh. And he had the case of the giggles and he just could not stop laughing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had been taking a direction class at the time I was in school and um, I came up with the idea of you know what? Because we were trying to get a two shot. So true. Just seeing him in the clothes was just so funny. <laughs> I know. I'm still laughing. I get inside from it. Um, so we were trying to shoot a two shot, and uh, you, the other guy was in the background, and our and the guy who was dressed up as Mr. Rogers was in the foreground. We had them profiled sitting next yeah. to each other. And um, so he kept laughing. He kept laughing, and it was finally getting frustrating at this point. Um, so I, I had, I had learned one of the tricks in my directing class was sometimes you just have to move the camera and put pressure on your actor. Yeah. So actually putting the camera close up and doing his close up. Now he knows he's on point. Like he, yeah. this is his moment. Yeah. The he laughing, the laughing went away. It went away yeah. because he, he suddenly had the pressure of the camera. So then we shot it that way. And then once, once we got that done, we were able to pull back. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of that formed how we shoot. Cause I think it was a big moment for us to understand the power of the, the camera the pressure that it puts on you yeah yeah suddenly you you straighten up and there's no laughing there's no giggling like this is my moment yeah if you're I on screw this up <laughs> i can't screw this up this is my moment yeah you know? and a lot of actors will say that am i on camera or yeah. am i not yeah. and that'll di- that'll dictate what they're going to do and how they're going to perform it you know uh, um always have your actors even if they're not on camera always have them there to run the lines mm-hmm. You know, so that this way the other actor has something to work off of. Right. Now, the other actor may take that moment to perfect their performance off camera. Mm-hmm. They also may take it to just give them the lines, yeah. you know, but they have to at least speak in character mm-hmm. because you may use the audio. Right. You know, uh, so even if your actors are not on camera, let them be there. They have to be there because the other actor needs to play off of them. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so in, in that, I don't even know, um, for your DP, mm-hmm. what they would need to know for something like that, they need to know who's the focus. Yeah. Um, they need to know what character, uh, your, you, the audience will be focusing, on. focusing on. A lot of the times this is pretty straightforward if they know the script, if they can watch the scene, you know, but mm-hmm. if there's a particular shift, for example, then that's always an important thing for your DP to know, mm-hmm. um, because it's going to change the way he sh- he sh- he shoots things. Yeah. Um, what else do I have? I said this is kind of difficult for me. Because it's not difficult, but I'm a little because because I know it all. It's all in my head. So yeah. to that's why I'm verbalize that's why I'm, I'm just kind of throwing yeah, cues it's better, out to it's you. It's better for you because you're you're not the camera person. So yeah. you. What what do you what do you need your DP to know? Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's I mean the big things to know. I mean also if you're filming it yourself, a big thing to pay attention to is the amount of space that you put around your actor, mm-hmm. um, the amount of headroom. Um, yeah. Like I was trying to say earlier, um, in a dialogue scene, if he's actually talking to somebody else, you want to leave more room towards oh, the yeah. person that yeah. he, he's speaking to. There's yes yes. Uh, if they're if they're facing, let's say the two characters are sitting opposite each other. Uh, the character, you want to leave an empty space on the side of the frame that the other character would be on. Yeah. Um, you have also what you were saying earlier. When you're doing a close-up shot, your character is speaking. Hmm. An extreme close-up 
is just the character's face. That's almost the entire frame is an ex- is an extreme close up. Right. Um, one thing you're going to wonder is because you always hear, "Do we have enough headroom? Do we have enough headroom?" <sighs> and you always hear that all the time. Stop worrying about the headroom, okay? Unless you're doing wider shots. Uh, but if you're in close-ups and extreme close-ups, what you need is you need to make sure that you don't cut off your character's chin. Yeah. It Remember looks really that. weird. If your character is speaking, you need to see their chin because the audience is looking at their mouth when they're speaking. The audience is more, not that they're staring at their mouth, but they're more drawn to the character's mouth than they are the character's hair mm-hmm. and forehead. So if you cut off a bit of their forehead and their hair, that's fine because you're focusing on the words coming from their mouth. You're not focusing on the words coming from their hair. Right. So always, when it comes to close-ups, always focus, always make sure you have chin space and don't lose their eyebrows. Hmm. Keep that shot between their eyebrows and their chin. Try not to go any closer. Now, if they're not speaking, you can go wherever the hell you want, and it's just a matter of what you want. But if they are speaking, don't lose their mouth because it's very distracting to the audience. Yeah. And uh, another, it's another, another thing too is when you're when it comes to this, you're going to be you, you cut corners, and sometimes your sound isn't as great as your sound editing, or Rather, the sound mastering is not perfect. The recording, even. Forget the recording. Okay. We're going past that. We're talking post now. Okay. Your sound mastering may not be perfect, okay? And certain sound effects and music, certain frequencies of that will blend in with their audio. And you might, some some words may get a little muddier than others. Um, that's something a sound guy is going to have to fix for you and fix your frequencies, but blah, blah, blah. If you can't, if you can't do that, as long as you have a clear shot where you can see the character's lips moving, that sound becomes visual to your audience. And they're able to understand the character better because they can see their lips moving. They're reading their lips while hearing the words coming out. So even if the sound is a little muddy, they can still hear it because they see the lips. They see the chin and and their brain fills in the hole that the muddied frequency is creating their brain fills it in. So that's always a little trick to keep their, keep their mouth and chin focused. So when you, as if you do have bad audio that will assist it, it's not going to make it perfect, but it will make it easier for the audience to hear what's being said. Hmm. Um, and I think the last thing I have is, um, well, I have two things. Um, one of them, just real quick, establishing shots, the importance of establishing shots. Yes. Shoot establishing shots. Shoot the building, shoot the door, shoot the shoot through the window, shoot as many wide establishing shots as you can possibly think of. Because it creates the world that your characters yes. are in. Yes. Sometimes you're shooting in a, in, in a place and it's supposed to be an office, but you don't actually have an office. You're shooting in your friend's home office. But it looks like an actual, it looks like somebody's office. So mm-hmm. it looks good, but you don't have an office building. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, fine, we don't have an office building, but we're going to shoot in this office. Number one, get a wide shot of the entire room. Yeah. So we see that. Then go find an office building 
with similar windows. Windows are very important. Windows and doors. <laughs> windows and doors are very, very important. If you're shooting in your friend's home office, safe to say he's not going to have floor-to-ceiling windows. So do not go find an office building that has floor-to-ceiling windows noticeable from the outside because it doesn't look right. Go find some doctor's office mm -hmm. that has smaller windows and use that as your exterior shot. Right. Okay? Because... Something as simple as that three seconds of of establishing shot gives your audience that buffer time to end the find the, the previous scene and begin the next scene and it's a transition. Mm -hmm. And your DP needs to have time to plan these shots out and to get them. They need to be on your DP's shot list that he wants that you want it. So what other even transitions if you don't use are there? It. Even if you don't use it, you need it. Yeah. What other transitions are there? You can use an extreme close-up as a as an extreme close-up to some object mm -hmm. as a transition. You can use that. Uh, transitions between scenes are very important. Um, what's the last bat? Dark Knight Rises was the last one. Oh the Lord. Dark Knight Return. Whatever the last yeah. Batman yeah, yeah, movie yeah, yeah. was. If you watch that movie. And God damn, I can't sit through it anymore. <laughs> the lack of establishing shots in it yes. is disgusting. It, <sighs> it just feels like I'm so disappointed thing. in Chris Nolan for that because it was one of the things that they cut out of the film to for the time. I don't care what they say. That movie was cut down for time because it just so happens to be the right length of time for an IMAX reel of film. Yeah, That's why the movie was cut down. And he's one of those directors who doesn't do dis d d deleted scenes. And nope, the final, what we released is the final film. Asshole. You cut 45 <laughs> minutes out of your movie and you ruined it because of that. But you're too stubborn to admit it. Fuck you. <laughs> Chris Nolan's one of the greatest filmmakers out there, but he fucked that movie up. Oh, he was done. I mean, he you could screwed tell he was that done. movie up. Yeah, he, they, he, they ruined it and he didn't care. No. Uh, he was but, done with it. But regardless, but regardless, one of the big reasons why that movie feels so incoherent and such a jumbled mess is because every scene goes straight into the next one. There's no establishing shots. There's no moments. Now, there's a couple of establishing shots. It's not entirely devoid of it, but there's so many missing that it doesn't allow you to transition from one scene to the next. It gives your audience the time to breathe, the time to be to like, understand, okay, we are moving on. Yes, to understand that we are somewhere different now. Yeah. And there are scenes that go between two entirely different locations. And because there's no establishing shot in the middle of it, you feel like you're in the same spot. Right. No time has passed. And you feel like you've turned to the other side of the room. And it's like, wait, where did these people come from? Oh, wait, no, wait, hang on. No, no, we're in the prison now. How do we get to the prison? Gee, what? <laughs> and 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 you may not, you're not thinking it consciously, no. but subconsciously your brain is taking too long to transition. Right. And you're jarred into the next scene. And because of that, the next scene, you you miss the first couple seconds of the scene. You Not you miss it, but you don't absorb right. the next few seconds of that scene simply because we were thrown into it. I, there's this one particular moment. I don't remember where we're coming from, but we're cutting into the place where the uh, the police are underground, where mm -hmm. they're trapped underground. Yeah. And it's like that entire, I mean, you and I agree on this, but like the entire time they're down there, it, it doesn't even feel like any time has passed. And then... 
it's it's very jarring to me. I can't remember where we came from or where we're going, but suddenly, like now, we're down in this yeah. hole. How long have we been They've down? They've been in down this there hole? for like three or four months, yeah. and there's no shots whatsoever that show you the changing of the season. Right. It just suddenly it's oh wait a minute it's ice outside. Yeah. Like it just yeah we go from like it. one then we go down to the hole and then all of a sudden there's ice in the in the river. Yeah. It's like, what? It what? just I it's, don't. Yeah, it becomes so difficult to keep track of it. You're and that's how my brain remembers it. I mean, I could be completely wrong, yeah. but that's literally how and my brain remembers it. And that's exactly what the problem is. The fact that there is no establishing shot to give you yeah. that clear-cut difference between the scenes. Mm -hmm. So your brain muddles them into, muddles the entire movie into one long scene. Yeah. And it destroys it. Right. It kills it. So sometimes... A lot of the time when you're when you're editing it, you just think your movie is just moving way too fast. Throw some establishing shots in the middle and it'll slow things down. Right. Very easily. If it's moving too fast and it just means that there's nothing there's nothing giving you buffer time to right. absorb. Right. And cutaways do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Gives your audience a second to just absorb something that's happened. You know? Um we went from an argument scene. In Theta, we went from an argument scene into an information scene. Now, these are two totally different paces. Yeah. So, but we're literally walking across the house. So I'm not cutting back to the outside of the house again to come back in. Yeah. All we did was leave from one room to the next. What I did was I went from her walking out of the shot. The next shot started on a close-up of the keyboard. Mm -hmm. Now we're sitting in front of a computer. Right. And that switches from the intimacy of an argument in a bedroom to information, right. keyboard. Right. It instantly tells you this is an informational scene you yes. need to pay attention. Yes. In all of one second, yeah. your brain shifted from the emotional argument scene to information. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to tell you something you need to pay attention to. We just gave you the mood. We told you the mood you have to walk into. Now your brain is moving into that motion, into that emotion of the scene, and you're already there. On top of this emotion, we have information for you you need to pay attention to. So I went into a keyboard. Right. And then I went into a close-up of him. And then she walked into the and scene. And then she walks into the scene, connecting the previous one to hear that, oh, they're only two rooms away. Right. It took her 10 seconds to mm -hmm. walk from one room to the next. And in that 10 seconds that, it, that she was walking from one room to the next, we established to the audience that we have information that this character is about to learn because the, because now the, and, and on top of that, he's facing the camera the entire time. So he's presenting you with that information and she walks toward the camera presenting you. Right. Giving that same thing with house. You're not following them on the journey now. Now they're going to tell you what they've just what we're what we've just learned. Right. Okay. And the scenes where they're the the parts of that scene where they're actually learning mm -hmm. information. I cut over their shoulders and we see the two of them. And we're watching them from behind and we see the screen. So we're with in them. front of them exactly. So you're learning it alongside them now, right. rather than them telling you something. Within that one scene, we did both. We had you learning with them and them telling you. Right. And we told that with... And he had a piece of the information that mm -hmm. he was going to connect to another and then give yeah. to her entirely. Yeah. So that's why we were on him and had her enter the yeah, scene. Yeah, so we had other shots too where she would kept walking because she's pacing, she's upset. Yeah. So there's certain certain points of the scene she's walking toward the camera and certain scenes she's walking at certain points. When it, when it starts to sound away. a little crazy, she kind of seems to walk away from the camera and then she's kind of like, eh, I'm not mm -hmm. with this. And then she kind of, then he starts to convince her more. Yeah. Um, 
So and these, that's, that's the thing. That's what we wanted to convey to the audience and right. use these little tricks that just your brain needs certain things to happen in order to make it. Because this, this is, it's, there is a little bit of a science to this. There really is. Hmm? There really is a little bit of a science to this. But it's, it's the art in applying the science, yes. really. Yes. Yeah. That, that's where the, art, the artistry in film comes in, of using these things and not having the audience notice that you're using it. Yes. Letting it be seamless and letting it be natural. Mm-hmm. Where you're using these little tricks, they don't, it's like a magician. Yeah. He's doing these things. The best, the best magician makes it look simple. Because, but, but the problem is those simple tricks took years to develop it. It took them years to, to put it together and to develop this trick to be done in a matter of seconds. Mm-hmm. And it's so quick and it's so simple. There's no thought involved. You're just like, oh my God, that was amazing. Yeah. And that's what the best magic tricks are. They look so simple. And that's where the artistry in directing and misdirecting and misdirecting <laughs> in, in, in film comes in, in making it seamless and simple and perfect so that the audience doesn't realize those tricks you're using to tell them certain things and cue them to other things. It's advertising is the same way. The best advertisements have subliminal things in there that give you certain impressions. Yeah. You know that make you think a certain thing. They make you feel a certain way. Like and the that's big, what a the movie biggest does. thing that I can I, I'll never forget is the Wendy's thing. If you look inside the, her little collar of her shirt, it says "Mom." Yeah, yeah. The 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 um yeah her bow her yeah. the bow of her shirt says "Mom." Yeah. You'd never notice it, but once you see it, you never unsee never it. Never unsee it. But it's always giving you that. And then what is their uh, classic American hamburgers? Yeah. Classic American classic American burgers. Yeah. You know, like Mom would make. Yeah. You know. That's what Wendy's is, the homemade feel. And it's in the logo telling you mom. Mom. So you subliminally see it. Yep. You know, Amazon's logo, A to Z with the smile. Yep. You know, and there's an arrow pointing everything from A, A to, to Z. Z. Mm-hmm. You know, FedEx has the arrow yep. pointing, you know, the direction. Mm-hmm. So film is the same way. You have to learn these little things and you cannot do it if you don't have a clear line of communication with your DP. And if your DP is making decisions in your film that you're unaware of, it's going to compromise the vision. It's going to compromise the vision of the film. It's very easy to, as we, as we already spoke about. I'm not not throwing DPs under the bus here. They're allowed to do this. But the fact is, the director needs to be able to explain that DP's decision. And you don't even have to tell your DP in all these terms that we're using. No. If you can tell your DP that th- at this point, you, this character internally is going to change, is going to, you know, um, become a villain. Yeah. He's going to turn This face. is the point where he turns, turns heel. Turns heel. There you go. This is a heel turn. Yeah. Got you. Gotcha. Your GP so now when should know says, how to film this already. Yeah, exactly. So now when someone says to you, well, why did you choose those shots? Because he's turning to a villain and I wanted that. And I, this captures that. Yeah. This is the moment where he sees where the, that eyebrow raised. Why did you decide to do that? Because he's thinking this at that moment. And that's what I, you need to be able to say that. Right. If the DP made the decision, fine. You need to know why the DP made the decision, yeah. though. Yeah. You know, I said, I'm not DP trying to say like, hey, throw the DP on the bus. He can't no. do anything himself. He obviously, of course, he yeah. absolutely can. And you're bringing him on because he he already has some sort of understanding, hopefully, mm-hmm. of all of these visual cues. Yeah. 
Yes. And, and as the director, you need to know why your DP made those decisions. Right. Because in the end, it is on you. Mm-hmm. It's on you. Yeah. So. I think we're good. I think we're good. I think we're done. <sighs> I'm exhausted. So. Uh, come on out to Lovecraft Bar on Friday. And Friday we'll be there at six o'clock, Lovecraft Bar NYC, and come check out some of our short films and some of the other stuff and celebrate HPHP. I didn't think of a hashtag. No, you didn't. Oh, well. See? Challenge fail. Challenge fail. And put on your calendars the Shauna Shea Film Festival in Southbridge, Massachusetts, October 6th through 8th. Come out, see Theta States. Theta States in its New England premiere, along with a bunch of other. Uh, lots of other short films and feature films of the artistic variety. Where are you just staring at me? I'm trying to think of a hashtag. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, you got about 20 seconds. Oh, man. Uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. On Facebook, you find us at Filmmaking Sucks and Massgrave Pictures. Follow the film Theta States. Follow us on uh, on, on Twitter. We are Massgrave and Massgravette and Theta underscore States as well. Follow those three accounts. Um Instagram, we are MGP Director and Masgravette. Subscribe to us and rate us and review us on iTunes and Stitcher and whatever other app you decide to listen to us on. Um, those ratings help us a lot and get some people out there. We're, 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 we're getting people, uh, we've seen our website traffic go up. There are more people listening to the show. So thank you all for helping us and supporting us and, and sharing our sharing our wonderful little podcast and retweeting our you're staring at me and it's totally just <laughs> completely stop with the, I can I can hear you thinking Jesus <laughs> say something or stop <laughs> okay I'm sorry <laughs> uh yeah so rate us and review us especially on iTunes when you do ratings and reviews they help us a lot they get bring us up in the ranks and they help other people find us a whole lot simpler that's not helping either just stop you know listen just, I'm just I'm just you're Cute. just nothing. Yeah, you're just not. You're just being there. And being. I'm letting you do your thing. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> That's going to do it for us this week at Filmmaking Sucks. What are your final words there, hashtag lady? Oh, look, I got a new one for us. No, it's stupid. <laughs> Three, two, one. All right. That's it. Hashtag suck it to me. <laughs> what? Because we're Filmmaking Sucks. Suck it to me. <laughs> Peer pressure. Pressure. <sighs> okay. Hashtag visual QT. Uh, what? Yep. Visual Q with a T because I'm cute. <laughs> you like that one, don't you? Get out there and make good <laughs> films, everybody.